Good morning. Everybody make it through that heat wave. We are praising God for clouds and cooler weather this morning. So here we are at the, uh, the end of our Ephesian series. I hope it's been inspiring, and I, I hope it has, as the title says, has inspired you to reach higher in life. God has done so much for us. He has given us so much in Jesus Christ that it really is a shame that so many times we live at a level beneath what God wants us to live. We don't become who he wants us to become because we're satisfied with lesser things. Or we think we can't have these higher things. Satan convinces us that somehow because we're unworthy that God's going to withhold it from us when that's why Jesus died on the cross. So that whosoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life means everything that comes with it. All the blessings in the heavenly places that, that he has given us are found in Christ. And so this week, we talk about, again, one of those passages that it's been quoted so many times that, you know, sometimes you, you ever, you know, you kind of grow numb to something because you hear it, you know, become so familiar that you, you, you just kind of start to hear it, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I know this. And, and, and we may not even do it, you know, consciously. I mean, we try to pay attention, we think about it, but, you know, it just becomes so familiar to us that we, we stop thinking deeply about it. And I think this is one of those passages, and I think it happens in a couple ways, because what we're talking about today in the armor of God is truly what, what I'm going to call the anchors of faith. The anchors. These are the things that are going to get us through the storm when it comes. And it will come. Anybody who believes they can walk with Christ without getting into trouble isn't reading their Bible. Everybody in Scripture who follows God faithfully gets into trouble. They get in trouble with the world. They get in trouble with... It, it just happens, okay? Because he has called us to be light in a dark world, which means darkness is going to try to extinguish that light. There will be a day of evil. You know, I've heard it described that there are three types of people in this world, and only three. Those who are in trouble, those who are coming out of trouble, and those who are about to go into trouble. That's pretty much life, isn't it? You know, we kind of measure it from... <laughs> Oh, that was a rough period, you know, anyway, it was pretty nice. This was a rough period, you know. We, we kind of just jump from one to the other in our minds a lot of times. What is it that gets us through those? It's our faith. It's the truth of our faith. And how well we endure those situations really comes down to how well we stay connected to Christ during that time. How well we practice our faith when it really matters the most. And so we're going to look today in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 20, at the armor of God. And I say one of the reasons we get, I think, a little jaded on this is because we've also, I think, turned it into a bit of a children's section. I think it gets treated far too lightly. I think kind of like the story of Jonah 
we've turned it into something lighthearted when it's the exact opposite. Paul is giving us, in speaking to us, in the language of war, in battle. This is not a cartoon that you color in. This is the realities of the battles of faith that we are going to face, and it's going to be a battle. And we have to be prepared and understand what this imagery means. But don't get lost in the imagery. I think sometimes we focus so much on the imagery. You know, the belt, the breastplate, the helmet, the sword. We forget what it's actually referencing. In, in almost every message I've ever really heard on this passage, I hear more about the imagery than the truth that they represent. So we're going to flip that today. We're going to talk less about the imagery of the belt and the helmet and the sword. And we're going to talk about what they actually represent and what Paul is trying to give us. And so look with me in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in 14. And he says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, what Paul is describing for us right now are anchors in the storm. He's already told us at the, you know, last week we talked about that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. This goes with last week's message. They, they are part and, you know, one and the same as far as connected to each other. And this falls under the heading still of living wise and not as unwise, making the most use of our time because the days are evil. But we have to remember the goal of the fight. What is it? He starts off by telling us, stand firm. It is about being immovable, as we talked about last week. And if the idea is not to be moved, then the weapons and equipment that a soldier in such a, a situation would be given, what would their function be to make that person immovable? If the goal is to stand firm, then the armor that is given for such an endeavor is going to be designed to enable you to do just that. And guess what? No more. So it's not go conquer the world. He doesn't say that. What does he say? He says just stand firm. He doesn't say go win. He says withstand. Now there is a huge difference in, in those two understandings of the battle that we have. If our job was to go out and win, I believe we would have different weapons. But it's not. It is to stand firm. It is to withstand the attack as it comes in, which means we have to be anchored to a spot. If we are to withstand something, then that means it's got to have a foundation that is firm 
that runs deep and cannot be moved by outside forces. And so, if the goal is to stand, what are we going to need? Well, listen again. He says, stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, let's remove the imagery from that. What has he told us to fight with, to use? Truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God, and prayer. Is it less exciting when I take out the imagery of the armor? You see, that's why when, when we talk about this passage so many times, we get caught in the imagery because it is. I mean, Paul is in prison right now. He's chained to a Roman soldier who's guarding him. He's seen this guy, you know, this person. So he has studied. He's seen the armor every day. And yes, he's borrowing from what's there, saying, you know what, this guy that, that is chained to me is ready for battle at any moment, right? That's the point of the, the uniform and, and what he's wearing is that he's ready at any moment for something to happen. That is his training and his armor enables him to be able to do that. Now, have you ever thought about what it would be like to chain to the Apostle Paul night and day? Think that guy heard the gospel a few times? Hey, man, how are you today? I'm good, Paul. Hey, do you know Jesus died? I know, Paul, I know. Yeah, but you need him. That's why I'm in chains right now, because they don't, I know why you're in chains, Paul. But you know, he just kept doing it. He just kept talking, and, and you actually read in Philippians that he was leading people within the guard and everything to Christ. And so, when we face the day of evil, these are the anchors that will sustain us. Think about them again. Truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God, and prayer. This isn't something abnormal to the faith. These are the core elements of what it means to be a Christian, that where we put our faith, where we put our practice, what we do that gives us strength. And so they're going to hold us, they're going to protect us, they will strengthen us, and they will enable us to see in the storm when it comes. Now, we saw last week again, and we hear about it again here, how does Satan fight against us? With schemes. Schemes. So again, if we are to be unmoved, and what we're going to be battle are evil schemes, what is that? That is a, a plan designed to get us to self-destruct, to walk away from faith, to attack our identities we talked about last week. He's showing us what we need in order to fight against this. We need the truth. Why? Because Satan is the father of lies. So if we are well-versed in the truth, when a lie comes to us, we recognize it. If his goal is to get us to sin and deny our faith and we're fully committed to righteousness, what will we see? We'll see that's a sin. I shouldn't do it. I'm not falling for that scheme. Even though it looks attractive, even though it feels right, I see the breakdown between God's righteousness and what this is asking of me, and I refuse to do it. 
if the scheme is going to get us to compromise and believe things that aren't true, what is it? Faith. The shield of faith. We're just going to have to believe sometimes that God knows what he's doing. And even though it doesn't make sense right now, I'm just going to plant myself and say, you know what? I'm going to trust God to work this out in the end. I'm not going to take a step that he hasn't told me to take. And so I'm going to use faith to extinguish the fear that he is launching my way. You see, this isn't something that's kind of off the charts in, in this imagery that he's given. He's saying... This is the battle we're going to face. These schemes are designed to get us to deny the truth, to get us to sin, to get us to doubt God. And the very things that God has given us are the things that are going to counter that. But we have to deny on him. Because what is the evil day? What are these schemes when we really boil it down? What's another word for them? Temptations. You see, this gets very personal at this point. When we start thinking about the devil's schemes, we can start thinking about all that bad stuff out there in the world, not the temptations that I personally struggle with. When I start thinking about that, it starts going, oh, wait a minute, this is, you mean that, that's the day of evil is my, my own temptations? Yeah, in many ways, yes. Name me a struggle that's typically any, any worse or more intense on a person than their own personal demons. Sometimes I think we'd rather face down, you know, a world that hates us than deal with our own faults and character flaws in our own heart. And yet, truth, righteousness, that's exactly what he wants us to deal with. And so Paul is showing us <clears throat> with the proper tools and the proper weapons, we can face down these temptations and these schemes that come to us and stand firm and not be moved. It is not complex, but it is intense. Don't let Satan make this more complex than it, than it needs to be. And we'll see that because we're going to look at how Jesus faced the evil day using these anchors. Okay, so let's look at the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. And how really, truth, all of this stuff starts to come into play. And it's very simple how Jesus faces it. And so in Matthew 4, 3 through 4, it says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now that Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, he's on the verge of starvation. It's important to remember that. He's, He's literally about to starve to death physically, okay? So rocks are looking pretty appetizing at this point for him physically. And I mean that. He's he's almost dead. Notice that's when he shows up. This is the evil day, okay? This is the scheme that is now directed straight at Jesus. And I'm telling you, this, there is no temptation on earth that will be more intense than what was faced in this moment right here by Jesus. Okay, this was tailor-made to defeat him. All of us would have been like, cool, I'm eating a rock right now. We would have. We, we would have fallen quickly. But he says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now listen, this was not magic. It wasn't just that Jesus quoted scripture and Satan was afraid of scripture. And he's like, oh no, he knows the Bible. And he ran away. That's not what happened here. 
what happened is truth and righteousness came into play and, and faith. And Jesus is using that part of the armor right now, truth, righteousness, and faith, to extinguish this whole discussion about turning stones into bread. What was this? It was an attack on his hunger and his physical weakness in the moment. It was also an attack on his identity as the son of God. He's mixing the two of them together, which is amazing. He's confessing that, yeah, you're the son of God and you're also human at the same time. And so I'm going to attack both of them at once. I'm going to see if I can trip you up in both your divinity and your humanity. And so he tells him to overcome that hunger with, with this. And Jesus acknowledges his hunger. He doesn't pretend it's not there. When he says man doesn't live by bread alone, he doesn't say, no, I don't need bread, I'm fine. He says, I need more than bread. Yes, I'm hungry right now, but my desire does not trump the truth of God. My immediate situation does not excuse disobedience. What is that? That's righteousness. You see, Jesus said while he was on earth, I do and say only what I see my father doing. He didn't perform miracles just when he decided, like one day wake up, I think I'll do a miracle today. He followed only what the Spirit of God through the Father was, or what the Father through the Spirit was telling him. And so righteousness and trust and obedience. And so Jesus acknowledges his hunger, but he also sees a bigger sense that his life is more than just his desire. His life was tied to the truth of God more than his physical needs. And so what did he reveal in this? What did he believe? He believed that God would sustain him in this moment. As his body is crying out, he used the shield of faith. I believe that God will will provide here so your fear-mongering on me that I'm not going to make it somehow. I'm, I'm not dealing with that. I've I'm, I'm got the breastplate of righteousness. I'm committed to righteousness, so I'm not going to just do something of my own accord without the Father telling me, and he hadn't told me to do this, so I'm not doing it because that will be sin. And you see, he, he had the belt of truth, and that's how he knew he had the truth that he says, man doesn't live by bread alone. I've, I've got to have a bigger picture view of my life. Now, Jesus believed the Father would sustain him. And you know what happens later? Anybody ever put together Matthew 4 and John chapter 4? At the end of John chapter 4, in John 4, he's talked with the woman at the well. And remember the disciples, why was he at the well alone? Because they were going on to get food because they hadn't eaten all day and they were hungry. And they're like, hey, who didn't get food? And they didn't, you know, so they had to go into town to get it. Jesus stays behind, has this magnificent talk with the woman at the well, and she believes in him as the Messiah and goes off and they come back. And Jesus is like feeling good. And they're like, hey, you going to eat? He's like, no, I'm good. And they're like, but we were all starving. We've eaten. Don't you want to eat? And he says, I have food of which you don't know. see what that is right there? He, he, he was tempted at this point in the desert, and he learned as a human being how to completely depend on God to provide for his needs. And we read in John 4 where he says, I have food of which you don't know. My food is to do the will of the Father. 
You see, he, he trusts God that much. Second temptation, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Satan's like, oh, we're going to deal with the Bible and scripture, huh? Okay. And he manipulates it. Again, truth. You know, the great thing about truth is that it never contradicts itself. Ever. If it's true, it's true. And so when Satan comes with this, and he gives him this very flawed interpretation of Scripture, Jesus sees straight through it because he knows the bigger truth of Scripture, and he's committed to righteousness, and his faith says, you know what, I don't get to just decide everything for myself. I do what the Father tells me. And so he says, it's also written, you shall not put your Lord to God to the test. What is that? Again, the shield of faith. He, he's looking at, at a deeper issue because what this is, he says, throw yourself down. This is an attack on truth. Satan tries to trick Jesus by quoting scripture in a dishonest, manipulative way. You think Satan won't do that in your life in the evil day? He will take whatever is good in your life and try to twist it to get you to do something bad. He will take the best thing in your life, your relationship with God, and try to twist it into something that you will despise and walk away from and end up destroying yourself. Now, Jesus performed miracles all the time, and if he were to jump off the temple and fly and, you know, down to the ground and not get hurt, I would think a lot of people might believe him in that moment, wouldn't you? So there's a real temptation here because Jesus wants people to believe in him. And he's saying, oh, you trust God? You trust him to take care of you? Let's put that to the ultimate test. You trusted him with, with your food. Let's really put that to the test and see how much you trust God. But you see, the truth is faith. And, and honestly, we could say the helmet of salvation he, his trust was so fully in God, it saved him in this moment when he's like, no, 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 you, you don't create artificial circumstances to try to force God's hand. You don't put him to the test. And then the third one, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. What does Satan offer here? Get the world by worshiping me. This is an attack on Jesus' very purpose for being on earth. What did Jesus come to do? To offer his life as a ransom for me, to be savior of the world. And Satan just offered him the world minus the cross. You think that wasn't a temptation? He offered him the world minus the cross. He says, I'll give it all to you if you'll just worship me. It is truly a day of evil. Now listen to this. It is truly a day of evil when Satan offers you everything you want if you will just do the one thing you know you shouldn't. That is the day of evil. That is the scheme. 
Satan doesn't come to you with a pitchfork and horns and a tail and scare you into sin. He comes as an angel of light offering you the very thing you've always wanted at the cost of your soul, at the cost of your identity. And that's exactly what he did with Jesus right here. He showed him everything that Jesus came to save and says, I will give it all to you. Was it his to offer? Some argue yes or no. I mean, yeah, he's the prince of the power of the world, but we still know who the king is. And so trust me, it was dishonest through and through. I'm not going to argue about whether it was his to offer you because it doesn't matter. Because the entire world would have been destroyed in that moment anyway. And so this was a, the the other two temptations are manipulative and tricky. This one was straightforward. And it is only by using the armor of God here that Jesus is able to extinguish it. And yet, he does so immediately. And what does he say? He says, be gone. I'm done with you. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone. Only him. You see, when we understand the truth and we understand righteousness and we understand the gospel and what it means to be saved and and what it is that that is required in that and we understand prayer and, and we understand perseverance, these schemes lose their power against us. They absolutely lose their power. And that's what we've got to remember. These, the, the armor is not given in this to be some fancy description of all this power that we have in life that I can go out and conquer the world. He's saying when Satan attacks and when the schemes come at you, these are the things that will save your life. Now, much is often made about the armor that, you know, there's only one offensive piece. It's the sword. Blah, blah, blah. Look, any well-trained armor in the Roman, so, you know, Roman soldier, well-trained soldier could use every part of that armor as a weapon and every part of it as defense. It was just his life, okay? It was his entire life. He knew how to use every bit of it. The shoes that he had had cleats on the bottom that would plant him in the dirt so that he would not move and so it says he's ready. You know, the gospel of peace, you know that your, your footing is sure. The belt of truth, obviously, you know, everything needs to stay in place. The, the, the helmet protects the head and, and the lethal blow. But, you know, if you're grappling one-on-one and you've got a helmet on and your opponent doesn't, guess what? That's a pretty good weapon. We've we got to start to think a little differently about the armor here and show that what he's showing us is the path to life. And it's rooted in truth and righteousness and the gospel and faith and the word of God and prayer and perseverance. Those are the things we need to be versed in and trained in and understand. And the biggest thing to understand in all of it is that Christ alone provides the anchors. When we think about what it is we have in Jesus Christ through the gospel... And that he died for us and his righteousness was made our righteousness. What do we have as a result of that? We have the truth. We have righteousness because his righteousness becomes our righteousness. You see, this isn't something that we have to establish on our own. This is what we have in Christ. This is what he provides us. 
And so it's not our armor, it's the armor of God. It's the anchors that will hold us in the storm, that will secure us. And it is in Christ alone that we possess these weapons and this armor. That's it. You cannot have these on your own. There's nobody smart enough to, to really understand the truth at the level that is necessary to defeat these schemes apart from Christ. It is only through the Spirit of God that we have that level of truth. It is only through Christ that we have the righteousness necessary to say no to the sin that offers us everything we've ever wanted. It's only in Christ that this happens. And so I want us to, to, to be reminded of what it means to walk by faith. Because Ephesians 2, 8, 9, remember it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is kind of the theme of the entire book of Ephesians. Let's pull this back out again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not the result of works so that no one may boast. If we want the belt of truth, you've got to look to the author of truth, the one who is truth himself. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have to look to Jesus. He's not saying figure out the truth for yourself. He's saying look to the truth. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Where does the breastplate of righteousness come from? It comes from Christ's righteousness imputed to us. And we can never forget that. If we think we can stand up against the schemes of the devil because we're good enough people, oh, he's already got you. He's got you and he's got you bad. He's, he's going to slay you and you're going to think you're righteous in doing it. So that's what self-righteousness does. I'm not trying to be cute with that, but it's... If, if we think we're good enough, Satan's like, oh, I'm going to have a field day with this one. They're going to be so confused as to what's right and good that they're going to do evil, think they're doing right. We have to look to Christ for righteousness and his righteousness for us. And it's not just righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 1 30 through 31 says, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We, we can't get the truth on our own. We can't save ourselves. We can't have righteousness of our own. The shield of faith, guess what? That faith better be in Jesus, because if it's not in Jesus, that shield is going to fail. It is only faith in Christ that is able to extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy, which he is going to fire at you. And so the belt of truth is the truth of Jesus. The breastplate of righteousness is the righteousness that Christ provides. The gospel of peace is the good news that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and through him you have peace with God. The shield of faith we take up in all circumstances, that he says, is faith in Jesus no matter what. Life's good, thank Jesus. Life's hard, Turn to Jesus and thank him that he has saved you and that this isn't the, the end of the story. You're confused? Go to Jesus. He has the answer. You think you got the answer? Better check with Jesus because you probably got it wrong. 
We have to go back to him no matter what. And he says the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Guess what? Sent by Jesus to guide his church. He told his disciples, I will send the Holy Spirit and he will guide you into all truth. And I will bring, and he will bring to mind all that I have taught you, which is why we can trust the New Testament, because Jesus taught them, the Holy Spirit brought it to mind, and they wrote it down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that we have the truth. It all comes back to Jesus Christ. Everything that Paul describes in this chapter is provided only in Jesus. The schemes that we will face in the day of evil are all designed to get us away from Jesus. When we understand that battle, it all starts to make sense. And, and some of you in here, you've figured that out. Like, some of you are maybe hearing this for the first time, so you're like, okay. Some of you have, have walked long enough that you started to figure out that, like, yeah, every time Satan attacks, it's just to get me to look away from Jesus. That's it. You know why? Because the instant we take our eyes off Jesus, we will take care of the rest. He doesn't have to tempt us to totally destroy ourselves. He just has to tempt us to get off the path. Once we're off the path, we'll go stupid. We'll do it ourselves at that point. And then he just sits back and laughs and says, look at them, look what they're doing. And then when it happens, we go, how could you do this to me? And Satan says, oh, I didn't do that. That was all you. That was all you. And in fact, I'm going to tell God on you. And you know what? I, I mean that. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He's the one that's going to go back to God and say, look at this fool. Look what he did. You see, that's where the armor is there. Paul is showing us this is how we stand firm in life. It is not a promise to a problem-free life. It is not. It is not a promise of freedom from attack. It is not a promise that everything's going to always work out perfectly. It is not a promise of prosperity or, or, or thriving. It is a promise that when all is said and done, you'll still be there. You will stand firm. And look, I, I believe this. I believe that's why this church has been here for over 150 years. Because it just keeps coming back to the gospel. Just keep coming back to the gospel. Just the gospel of Jesus Christ. Generation after generation after generation. And God says, hey, you're still there. Still standing. Because that is the goal. Because the reward is not in this life. It's in the next. And when we treat the armor like a means to get to the reward in this life, guess what? We lose. We go in all armored up thinking we're awesome when we take on an enemy that is way more powerful and way more suited to the battle than us and we get our tails whipped and we go home and go, what happened? And God says, I, I didn't tell you to do that. I just told you to stay put, stand firm, serve me. And he wouldn't be able to overcome you. And so what do we do in life with this? Well, we trust the anchors and engage the faith. And when I say engage the faith, I mean engage the things of the faith that he wants us to do. We, we have here on the wall, become a worshiper, become a student of scripture and prayer, become a servant witness and become a disciple maker. Where are you in this process? Engage the faith to become the person God wants you to be. Because we are saved by grace and it is the gift, but we're saved for a purpose. 
And what is that purpose? Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, say it with me. Say it again. Good works. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have to engage the faith. If we're not engaging the faith, then we are going to be overcome. We're not going to... Listen, faith only works if you use it. So the shield of faith means you're actually doing something that God's telling you to do that requires faith. We can't be completely passive and say, God, why am I being attacked all the time? And he goes, I not doing anything. I need you to serve me. I need you to worship me actively. I need you to be investing in other people and and serving and, and making disciples. I need you to work for my kingdom because that's where your faith is going to protect you, is in the active obedience of your faith. And so what does Paul say in verse 18? He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. It says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that my words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. How do we engage the faith? Prayer in the spirit, which is agreeing with and seeking spiritual truth and power and guidance from God, okay? This isn't, you know, God, give me the lottery numbers so my life will be easier. That's not prayer in the Spirit. Prayer in the Spirit is seeking the truth of God as it's revealed by Him, seeking God Himself, and for each other. I love how Paul puts in this, we're not lone warriors. You know, one of the brilliant things about the Roman army and why they were so powerful is because they learned how to fight together. Their swords were were shorter. They didn't have these long, broad swords. They were shorter, and they were designed to stand side by side with the shield up, sword out, and the entire battalion would just march forward at a slow pace and just be stabbing people along the way. And people would be trying to fight them, and the whole thing is just walking over them. That is, in some sense, a picture of what God wants the church to be. We are to be in lockstep together following Jesus. Having each other's backs. Praying for one another. And so he says we pray in the spirit. We pray for each other. We persevere, which means it's going to get hard. Don't give up. Perseverance is necessary. It is the ability to withstand pressure. Okay, the word perseverance literally means to bear up under pressure. So as the pressure of the evil day comes down upon you, we push back up against it and say, I'm not going to let this destroy me. I will wait it out. I will stand firm and not be moved. He says perseverance and then bold proclamation of the gospel. Now, Some of us don't like that one. Like, yeah, I'll do what's right, but I do. I really got to tell people about Jesus. Yeah, we do. Because that's the battle. Satan is going to attack to keep us from telling others, from, from looking to Jesus ourselves, and then to keep us from telling others about him because he doesn't want his kingdom growing. Those are the schemes. It's designed to keep people away from Jesus. So if we want to overcome the scheme, what do we do? Lead people to Jesus. Just keep doing it. 
Stand firm, refuse to compromise in your life, walk with God faithfully, and proclaim the gospel in your circle as best you can. Now, if God hasn't called you to be the next Billy Graham, that's okay. Last I checked, there was only one of him. He's called you to be his witness in your life where you are right now. That's it. Just his witness. What does Paul say? He says, hey, pray for me that I would be bold. Don't you love hearing that from the Apostle Paul? That he's asking for prayer for boldness? Do we typically ask for prayer with something that comes easily to us? No. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, I struggle to be bold. And Paul's even talked about it in other letters that he says, you know, in his letters, they're mighty and weighty and you meet him in person and he's a real disappointment. <laughs> and Paul's like, I know what y'all say about me. I know you talk about me like this. It doesn't matter. But, but see, that's, Paul was a human being just like us. And, and he's saying, pray, pray for each other and pray for me that I would be bold in declaring the gospel. There is something about boldness. And boldness is when... Everything in the world says, hey, don't talk about Jesus, that we say, you know what? I need to talk about Jesus. This is the time to do it. Now, do we do it in a belligerent, disrespectful way? Absolutely not. But we still do it. We do it in a loving, kind way. Now, that doesn't mean we back away from the truth. But we do it in a way that causes cognitive dissonance with people who disagree with us. When you're kind and respectful and yet bold at the same time, they don't know what to do with it. And that's what we are called to do because as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus, we are engaging in the warfare that's coming against us and we, that is how we return fire. The rest of it is just about standing firm because God has given us everything we need to do so. He has blessed us in the spiritual places with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have everything we need. We have the word of God. We have salvation. We have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. We have the truth of God given to us. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We have the church. We have each other. We have everything we need to be able to go out and make a difference in this world. And God's not going to give us anything else. If we can look at all that and say, God, I don't think it's enough. I'm going to say, God, disagrees with you because he's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We have everything we need. It is now up to us to reach higher and reach beyond what this world tells us. It's up to us to do what we are called to do to become who God called us to be and share his light in this world. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. And God, I pray this week Lord, that you would help us to understand the armor of God, the, the anchor of our faith. That we would engage the truth, that we would engage the faith, that we would engage with others for your kingdom. God, where we may be compromising and, and being moved, that we would say no more and resolve to stand firm. God, teach us. Teach us how to trust you as Jesus did when he was being tempted. Teach us how to see the truth. 
to see the truth in temptation. How to use the shield of faith to extinguish fiery darts. How to be ready and have peace at sharing the gospel with others. How to pray and persevere in all circumstances, God. Help us to have the peace of knowing that your righteousness is given to us, God. That you're not telling us to be righteous on our own. That you have given it to us. That we would live lives of gratitude because of it. God, I pray that your spirit would be evident in our lives, our homes, our work, in the things that we do, that they would glorify you, that they would call others to know you, and that we would see the fruit of righteousness in our lives. God, as together we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.